Welcome to Made in China, Ish, a podcast by Chinese adopted Asian American that discusses racial identity, experiences, insights, and advice. But don't worry if you're not an Asian American adoptee. I think you'll still find something to relate to here. There are a lot of things I wish I was told before I left my hometown and experienced the real world. Well, as real as your freshman year of college can get. All I wanted was to be understood and heard, and that's my goal here—to amplify adopted voices and let people like freshman year me know that you're not alone. So, what's up? My name's Grace Tomlinson, and I'm made in China, ish. Hello, hello, and welcome back to Made in China-ish, the podcast. My name is Grace. I'm your host. This week, I had the amazing privilege of talking to Celeste Good. So Celeste Good is another junior here at Penn State, but she's very involved in social justice. So we had a really great conversation today about her involvement here on Penn State's campus, about identity. She's a part of the queer community, so it was really interesting to talk to her about both her experiences being a person of color, but also someone who's in the LGBTQ community. I actually met Celeste at a candlelit vigil for the people who were victims of the Georgia shooting. So it was really great to talk to Celeste. She actually talked at the open mic about how she was an adoptee, and I, I mentioned this in the podcast. But in my head, I was like, "Celeste, like I want to talk to you because she's just so involved on campus." I have in my notes, and I told her too, like she's just taken Penn State by storm and really has strived to make change. And we talk about. How it really doesn't take a leader to make change. It takes what you want to do, your education. And I had I had a struggle about figuring out what quote of her to use for the promo, just because she had so many good quotes. So I'm so excited to now go into my episode with Celeste Good. All right, hello. Today I'm joined with Celeste Good, who is a very prominent figure on campus. I met her at the candlelight vigil for the victims of the Georgia shooting,、um, and when she was at the candlelight vigil, she participated in the open mic where she talked about her story and also said that she was adopted. And then I said right there in my brain, Celeste. So I had to come up and talk to Celeste. So thank you so much for joining. I also saw her at the Black Lives Matter protest in the fall. So just very prominent in social justice. We just discussed previously all of the different organizations that she's involved in. She will be next semester the VP of APIDA, which is the Asian Pacific Islander Desi Caucus.、Um, she's going to be the president next year, or probably going to be the president of QDPOC, which is Queer and Trans People of Color. Kinesthetic Learning Coach of Island Fever, which is a dance team. Words, which is writers organized to learn diverse stories. She's also part of Black Caucus, PRCC, and Lion Pride. So a very Hefty schedule you got going on there. So welcome, Celeste. Thank you so much for joining me. Hi, no, I'm like really excited. I've never done this before.、Um, uh, I usually don't、uh, meet with people who are also, you know, Asian and adopted. So this is a really interesting thing because we're we're a very small minority of people out here.、Uh, so it's awesome to be here. It's been so great to connect with the different adoptees because there's like there's a few of us, but we don't really talk to each other as much. So I've met a few at Penn State, and so you were born in Shenzhen,、um, Shenzhen. Sorry, at a little over a year,、um, and you were originally from Massachusetts, but moved to Charleston, Rhode Island. So tell me a little bit about your upbringing. Um, so I was adopted by like two white older people.、Um, my upbringing, um. I mean, I went to private Catholic school for twelve years.、Um, I did 
prominently like gymnastics for a good 10 years of my life so that took up everything I what I did gymnastics for 25 hours a week for like five years so you know I want to go like I, I ranked regionally when I was I think 12 so I was like fourth in the region in my level and age group which was insane um then I quit uh in high school because I wanted a social life and you know like gymnastics is a very taxing sport so I never you know I want a life and I want to be able to walk comfortably when I was like 40 um and then you know like I I joined clubs at my high school like I did track and softball I did um I almost did mock trial but then like I didn't because I was busy I did like stage crew for musical theater so I got involved in that way um thinking about my childhood I don't know my parents are divorced um but like that's a, a lot of people have that in common unfortunately um I have a twin sister who was adopted with me, uh, which is really cool. She is currently at Savannah School of Art and Design. Um, <clears throat> I have a dog. His name is Max. Love dogs. <laughs> yeah, he's really cute. I haven't seen him in a while, but stays in my heart. Um, I don't know. Yeah, that's kind of like my childhood. I really didn't do anything social justice because I was brought up by white parents, so I was I was, I like to say I was whitewashed in a way that like my parents taught me like not to see color and like, you know, like white assimilation was kind of like what I was brought up with. And the the Christianity that was taught in my schools also didn't help. So until I got to Penn State, I really didn't understand that there was a difference between like Asian and Caucasian. Um, which is like really sad to like think about, but you know, like I'm thankful for my education and experiences that I've had at this university and, you know, the people who've come into my life and helped me like understand the importance of like who I am and like my roots. And, you know, I still don't know a lot about like being Asian and, you know, a lot of times in Asian spaces, I don't feel Asian enough or, you know, the fact that I'm a masculine presenting lesbian is like another obstacle that I have to face when in the Asian community because I don't subscribe to like the beauty standards of what you know being an Asian woman is you know like like I'm constantly like stepping on eggshells around my own community because they don't understand me or you know there's homophobia or you know toxic masculinity and you know like trying to navigate Asian spaces with who I am is is tough but I'm trying to make sure that you know as the vice president of a Peter caucus like next year I can help transition that type of thing and make it more of a educational space um but yeah that's really interesting and that's even more interesting that you have a twin. So what was it like growing up with someone who was also adopted and also had the same birthday as you and things like that? Did that influence your identity at all? Um, I would like to say because of the fact that I did gymnastics and spent all my time there, I really didn't hang out with my sister, if that makes sense. Like my life was gymnastics 
and like obviously I had a sister and obviously like we hung out but like my parents separated us in school like from first to probably seventh grade we weren't allowed to be in any of the same classes together um which was really like I get it but like I'm a very competitive person personally so I don't know what would have happened if we were in the same classes, you know, like, would we have pushed each other to do better, to do better or would we have, like, fought about grades and stuff like that, you know, um, but, like, my sister and I are very, very different, like, she, she's more of an artistic, hippie-esque, you know, person, and I'm, like, I like sports, and I'm really loud, and, um, you know, our differences became more apparent as we grew up, you know, because we, we, we became who we are. And, you know, like my sister's very much embraced her Asian identity a lot more than I have because she went to Hong Kong for her first year of college because there's a SCAD campus over there. So, like, she got to, like, be immersed in the Asian culture. And she's always been, like, more so involved in that kind of stuff like k-pop and things like that and I never I never got into that um and like I think it's great that we both have our own things but like I would love to be more immersed into like my culture but like I don't know how to do it (laughs) not yet but no like having a sister is great you know like we're kind of like I like to say we're night and day with the way that we act and who we are like I'm a very confrontational in your face type person and my sister's like not um so it's really interesting to see us in the same room but like I also haven't spent a lot of time with my sister because like I don't have the best relationship with my family because of you know politics or belief sets and like I would rather be on my own and like take care of myself and go home to you know a household where you know like mentally I won't be as well uh so like I don't come home often and, like, hopefully that changes in, you know, the next couple of years. Uh, but, like, I haven't seen my sister since, like, last January. So it's been a very, very long time. And, you know, when talking about social justice and things like that, like, she never got into it because she was, I don't know. I think something that comes with, like, being Asian is, like, not fighting for minority rights because they're not yours and it's not your business to get involved in that and that's kind of where my sister was at where she was like oh those aren't my problems why would I go to a protest why would I educate myself about these things if they don't affect me and that's who she was and like she was ignorant um especially with like black community things so like you know I had to call her out after I came back from Penn State my first semester and then I was like I can't I can't talk to you and hang out with you right now if like you're going to do these anti-black things, you know? So like we've had a little bit of a rift, but like talking to her after like junior year and like she went to Atlanta, which is literally like the hotspot for being a minority and like being cultured and like people of color just living there. So like she learned, she learned uh, to unlearn what she did and she's gotten a lot better about like Black Lives Matter things. Um, I mean, like I used to have trouble with like queerness in her. Like she tried to out me to my parents when I came out to her. So like that was really upsetting. 
So, you know, like, like I, I was very wary of my own sister and, you know, I trusted her. And then she was like, let me tell my parents about like this one thing, because, you know, I think my parents aren't homophobic and I think, you know, they'll still love you and like you're overreacting, you know, um, she didn't understand that. So that was like another thing that created a rift between us, but she's, she's gotten better about that. Like, I'm really proud of like the growth that she's done, but you know, like I had to leave her alone while she did that because it's not my job to educate her. It's not my job to like make her see how, you know, like why I am the way I am, but it's nice to see that. And I'm hoping that I can connect with her more like beyond college and like, you know, when I'm an actual adult. That's so interesting. And thank you so much for sharing that, that she's now able to grow, but it's still a process. And so transitioning from your family life now to Penn State, what was that first year like? I know your sister went to Hong Kong, but you came from a small school in like the suburbs to Penn State. So what was your experience? Um, I mean, at first it was terrifying, you know, like only three people from my school went to Penn State and I've seen one of them a couple of times and the other, like I've, went, I've like seen once and I was like this year because he like moved into the here, which is a new like high rise. Um, so like I was alone um, and like thinking about my first couple of weeks here, I was like, I don't know what to do. I have no friends. Like everything is scary. Like the, the involvement fair on Hub Lawn is like so intimidating because it's just like everyone on Hub Lawn, like it's loud. Like everyone wants you to do something. Um, but it was, it was fantastic. I, because I've always been an active person, uh, my roommate ended up matching with someone on Tinder and they were a part of the rugby team. So my roommate asked me to be her wing woman on like their date or whatever. And the date was basically like going to the rugby informational meeting. And then like, like I got a free meal out of it. Like I got someone cooked for me. Um, I was happy. I was fed. But at first I was like, no, like, I don't know what rugby is. And like what I know of it, it's like a blood sport, you know, like it's rough and it's hard and then, you know, you get tackled. There's no, there's no pads. There's no nothing. And I was like, yeah, I don't want to go to this. But then uh, my roommate was like, there's free pizza. And I was like, fine, like I'll go for some free pizza. Um, and I ended up loving the rugby team and I tried out and I made the team. I walked on and, you know, like I played for three years and it was like the best three years. It's incredible sport. I wish more people knew about it. And, you know, like, I think the special thing about rugby is that it's it's sport made for, like, every type of person. Like, I can dominate on the field. I'm, like, 115 pounds, and I'm, like, five foot. And, like, I can dominate on the field with someone who's, like, 220 pounds and, like, six foot. You know, like, we all have different strengths and weaknesses. And, like, that, it's, like, the only sport I know that can, like, accommodate for every single body type you know? Um, yeah. So like through rugby, I met someone who was also like queer and of color and they're like, Hey, like there's a space called the Paul Rubinson cultural center. I think you should go there. And like, I, like that person was on exec board for cutie pock. And that's how I got introduced to that. So like through rugby, I was brought into like these other spaces that were very safe or very educational spaces for me. And like, that's how like my Penn state, journey started and like my my journey to like being a part of all of these organizations and being involved 
and like going into social justice and you know like learn like unlearning things that I need to unlearn or like going into new uncomfortable spaces where I could grow um but yeah that was like my freshman year and then like obviously I like took off from there and continued to do like the work that I do that's awesome and I love how one thing can sort of like snowball into everything else so for people who may not know, either they're not from Penn State or they're just not too familiar about the different things that Penn State has to offer, what is the Paul Robinson Cultural Center? What is the the Cutie Pock? And like, what do you do within those organizations? Okay, so the Paul Robinson Cultural Center, like within itself is the, the cultural center of like Penn State. So that's, that's where you go if you're literally not white. <laughs> um, but I think it's important to say that like white people are, you know, allowed in that space, but it's like, like understand like what you're taking from that space because, you know, like when minorities are, you know, attacked and like, you know, hate crimes happen, um, we can't, we can't gain equality without the help of white people, you know, like that's something that needs to be said. And like, how are, how are white people supposed to learn about, you know, us and like how we function and like the struggles we go through without like talking to us, you know, I mean, like the Paul Robinson Cultural Center is a place where, you know, like a safe space for us to like hang out and like be with each other because Pepsi is a PWI, which is a predominantly white institution. Um, the Paul Robinson Cultural Center, listen, I, between classes, I would go there, I'd hang out with people, I'd play Uno, I'd study, um, I'd nap on their couches, like, like that place was a home to me. That was a second home for me. Um, and like I always try whenever they're freshmen to like get them in there because not only is it like a space to find community and people it's also like a space that has resources like the directors of the center like are there for you like you can talk to them about anything you want a scholarship they can say something they have loads of different um events that happen that they put on like speakers come, they have famous people come. Um, they they help organize things within like organizations. So like with QDPOC, like we can collaborate or like get the approval of the Paul Robinson Cultural Center to get space in the hub or like they will fund up for one of our events. Like we, QDPOC usually does a big drag show um, in the spring like right near graduate, not graduation, but right near finals, like we host a huge drag show and like you, a lot of people usually come, but like the Paul Robinson Cultural Center like helps us get like Heritage Hall or Alumni Hall and like we'll pay for like people to come. Like we've in the past, we've had like several different famous drag queens from um, Paul, RuPaul's Drag Race, you know? So like like the, the Paul Robinson Cultural Center is like literally if I like, I can't stress enough how important it was for like my journey and my growth here at Penn State and like Cutie Pock. Like I, I started with Cutie Pock, obviously like my first semester ever here. And then by second semester, someone decided to quit the executive board. So a position opened up and because of how I guess enthusiastic I was about like, I'm going to be on e-board next year. Like I can't wait to do something. Um, one of the people on the executive board at the time was like, do you want this spot? It just opened up. And I was like, yeah. So like, that's how like my time with cutie puck started. Um, I don't know, my freshman, sophomore year as treasurer, my junior year as president, and I'm going to be president again 
Um, so it's really like I'm really thankful for situations that happen. And like I'm a very I'm big on opportunity. So like if something falls in my lap, I'm going to take it, you know, um, the same thing happened like with um, Island Fever, like like I had never done anything with like a Caribbean community of any sort, but someone from QDPOC was a part of the team and introduced me to the, the people on that team. And I am majoring in kinesiology and I, you know, I like watched them practice and I was like, you guys don't stretch correctly or like, this is why you're getting injured and things like that. And the captain at the time, like I, she was also someone in the queer community as well. So she was like, you, you, you're helping us like for free. Like sometimes you come to practices, sometimes you don't, but like, it'd be really cool to make a spot for you on this team so that you could actually prevent injuries and help us. So like, like I wiggled my way onto that team and like, now I can dance a little bit and, you know, I found a new community and like through that, you know, like they're under CSA, which is the Caribbean Student Association. And like, I fallen in love with that community. Like, it's all good vibes. It's fantastic. Like I've been able to collaborate with them with Cutie Pock and like talk about homophobia in the Caribbean community. So like, I guess everything that I do has intersected in a way that like, I'm able to talk about like things that I am passionate about or that, that make me me and like these communities that have like opened up to me or like let me into that community so that, you know, like, like everything connects at the end of the day. And like, I've tried to make sure that like I leave things better than how I found them. Um, and that's like a big philosophy that I have. Um, but yeah, like the, that, that's like kind of what my involvements have been. Like everything's an opportunity at the end of the day. And like, it's your job to do something with it, you know? I think that's awesome that you were able to take campus by storm. I literally have that in my notes, like was able to take campus by storm. So now you're at the end of your junior year. Um, next year, you'll be a senior. Yeah. So how have you seen your identity as a member of the queer community and as an Asian American sort of evolve since your freshman year? Um, I would say like my Asian identity has like recently, like recently been awakened in a way that like, I don't know shit about being Asian. Um, but what happened in Georgia really moved me. And it, it sucks that it took that for me to realize like, oh, like maybe it, you know, maybe I should do something for my like community and like try to make a difference and like try to like get back into it. But like, there's a lot of pushback on that identity for me. And like, it's a lot harder to connect with people on that level. And it's just so big. And there's so much, I guess, infighting within the Asian community itself that like, it's very daunting. And, you know, my only other interaction with the, an Asian community at Penn State was like, me getting kicked out for like, wanting to share who I am with them in a way that like, like I wanted to share like events that like Latino caucus was having or like um, homecoming was having or like cutie pop was having. And I was told like, we don't do that here. We only post about events that we're having and we like to keep it close. And uh, like, you know, a close knit group. We, we don't talk about politics because that, that causes like 
like weird tensions in the group and that causes fighting and like we don't want that to be a thing like we don't want people to fight over like political political opinions and things like that so like I was kicked out for all of those reasons and you know like obviously that's terrible but like that impacted me like for someone who's never been in an Asian community to be kicked out of the first one I tried to be in for like being myself like I just gave up on like trying to do that and it sucks but you know like getting into APIDA which is you know is a different organization than the one that I tried to get into um but like I'm really excited to see what I can do with APIDA and I'm excited to like see what I can learn about myself in the next year and you know like cutie pop like my queer identity like like that's what like accelerated and that's what changed like I came in to college like recently out like I came out to people in my senior year of high school and like I like figured it out in junior year but like it's hard in high school because everyone's like a bully and you know like high school is high school and people say things like you know like that put me back in the closet or like made me be like oh like I can't do this like even like being like in a catholic high school was really like hard to do because then you know being gay is a sin or like you're gonna go to hell so it's like it took a long time for me to come to terms with who I was and like coming to Penn State and like immediately being like taken into the cutie pop community and being like like be yourself like like find out who you are you know like I did so much growing between like even like my freshman like first semester and second semester like I totally changed into a new person you know like I cut my like I used to have long hair my freshman year and then I cut my hair like for the first time ever like like this short like I have short hair now um but like I've changed a lot and I've like gained a lot of knowledge about the queer community and like for people who are just coming out like that process and like that process takes a very long time and it's different for everyone but like in the time that you come out to yourself and like to other people, like that time is like the most fragile time as a person because you understand that you're a part of a new community and like you, you, you know, you go in thinking like, oh, like I can just be myself, but like you get into that community and then, you know, you're asked what you are. Are you a lesbian? Are you gay? Are you bi? Are you trans? What's your gender identity? Like, what labels are you going to subscribe to? Are you a butch? Are you a femme? Are you a top? Are you a bottom? Like, what do you like in bed? Like, stuff like that. Um, so it's overwhelming. And it's like, what do you want to do? Like, who are you going to be? And then, like, am I perpetuating a stereotype? Like, am I only doing this because I want to be liked by the queer community? Or, like, am I doing this because, like, I'm not going to be too gay or like things like that or am I being too gay and like I think for queer people like the only way to get past like that part of your life you know is to live it but it's also like to be unapologetically gay and be yourself and like that takes a long time to get to and like cutie pock really helped me do that in like a year and then like from there like like my com- like I was never this confident as a person I never talked like this I I was a shy person who who like was silent a lot and like you know like I had a lot to say but I didn't know how to do it so like being able to like understand yourself is you know the biggest thing which I don't think people understand is like when you don't know who you are like you kind of don't have a voice because like how are you going to talk when you don't know who you are so like once I was confident with who I was and like you know had a solid like foundation of like I'm not going to move from where I am 
because like this is who I am and like no one's going to change who I am like once I got to that part of my life like social justice came easier I was like I know what to talk about I can stand for something like I can talk about queer people I can talk you know about Asian people like you know in spaces where there are no black people I can talk about black people and like what they go through and like like gender and things like that like everything that comes with being queer and of color and you know a minority student you know or even a woman you know um that changes everything like your dialogue the way you present yourself um and like who you talk to um because it's hard it's hard being a student it's hard like not knowing people and it's hard like living is hard at this point but like you know what I'm saying it's it's like once you find out who you are you are able to advocate for yourself and other people and you know that takes reading that takes time that takes experience and it it takes mistakes and you know I, I wish people understood that a little bit more but like wow like being where I am now is like insane like looking at me now versus like freshman year because I remember as a freshman you know like I used to like people please I used to be like how do I make you feel better how do I you know you know how do I how do I do things so that other people like me and like so I can find my place at this university and a a senior came up to me like when they were graduating and was like I can't wait to see who you are your senior year because I'm I'm like I understand being a freshman and like wanting to please other people, but like, I can't wait for you to not care about what other people have to say about you and for you to do your own thing. And like that, like it's a full circle moment where like, I look back at that and I was like, I'm probably going to text her sometime soon and be like, your words did impact me. And I think about them all the time because like, wow, it's like insane to see the transformation that can happen, you know, when you take the opportunities you have and when you can admit you're wrong or like, when you want to grow and like meet people and like do things like that, you know? Well, you've certainly accomplished a lot. I, I really like when I first saw you speaking, because I've seen you at so many other like social justice events. Was, and then I heard you were an adoptee. I just had to try to talk to you. So yeah. again, thank you for coming on. But I think in the wake of everything that's been happening in the AAPI community and just in the Asian American community, especially after the shootings, I feel like for me, at least a lot of people have been like, suddenly coming up to me and asking me about like my experiences as and like an Asian American and things like that. So for someone who has been working a lot in social justice, what are your tips on people who are just now being asked about like to share their experiences and things like that um, as an adoptee and also as an Asian American? I like, are you talking about like people who want to get more into social justice or like, like just like it's, you know, like in general? I guess- a little bit of both people who are new to the social justice scene and want to get involved but also how would i'm like trying to figure out how to phrase it. i guess how would you i guess we'll start with social justice how would you recommend that people start getting into social justice if they're like new to the scene and aren't really sure where to start either at penn state or internationally i would definitely say i guess to begin it's for me social justice and you know activism it's not like it's obviously a movement but it's also like individual like you're you can make social justice what you want it to be obviously there are definitions obviously there are like many different organizations that do things but at the end of the day like social justice is what you're gonna do with it it's not about like social justice isn't about making a name for yourself as like an activist it's like it's kind of like 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 people think that they need certain things to like be in a position of power when like that's not true um 
so being an activist being in social justice like I don't care if people know my name like I'm gonna do the work I'm gonna do because I know at the end of the day it's gonna help communities or you know like I'm gonna tell my story and someone's gonna resonate with it or like I'm gonna tell my story and someone's gonna be like like now I understand why queer people are like this or like now I understand the struggle of like an Asian person you know like um you don't need to have any position of power to make change. You as an individual have the power to change whatever it is you want to do as long as, you know, like you have the passion to do it. And I think people don't realize that. And they're like, oh, like I need to follow someone or like I need to join this organization and like join the organizations, like follow the people. But like anyone can do a vigil. And like that's something that I like to talk about is like, Many people thank me for putting on the vigil or like creating the idea of the vigil. But like just because I'm like the president of Cutie Pop or just because I'm a big social justice person doesn't mean I'm the only one who could have done that. Any Asian person, any Asian student here at Penn State could have been like, I want a vigil and could have like come to me or Steven or anyone else and been like, hey, I would love this to happen because, you know, like we need a space to mourn. We need a space to heal. You know what I'm saying? It's like, People expect people in power to be doing everything. And that's why people in power, I get not power, but like people in leadership positions burn out so quickly because the the trauma and the work that needs to be done for these communities is put on the shoulders of like two people and they just do it, you know, until they burn out or until they graduate. And then, you know, like another one person will like take up that mantle for a year and like that's not what like social justice is about. Social justice is about like continuing the fight and continuing to make change and educate and do things. So when talking about like, wh what is my first step? It's education, it's talking to the right people and it's understanding that you can literally make change and do whatever you want, regardless of like what you're affiliated with. And like, like obviously, like I keep saying education, 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 but like the Paul Robinson Culture Center has held like leadership summits, like social justice retreats and things like that, that I've gone to. I've, I don't, I didn't just come out of the womb, like knowing everything that I know. Like I know the things I know because of my experiences and because of, you know, like the spaces that I was put in and the, you know, the retreats that I went to where, you know, like, so like when I was younger, younger as in like two years ago, but I thought I knew how social justice worked. I thought I knew how activism worked, you know, and then I went to a leadership um, or social justice retreat and I learned more about like what social justice is. How do you define social justice? And like, you know, everyone defines everything differently. And, you know, I think there's something to be said about activism and activists because sometimes I don't agree with things in, you know, the activist community. Like, you know, I talk like a vocabulary term that I use all the time is intersectionality, you know, and when I was younger, I was like, you know, I talked to my white friends and be like intersectionality and they're like, oh, what's that? And I'd be like, what do you mean? What's that? Like, how do you not know what intersectionality is? But, you know, like when you're straight white man, why would you know about intersectionality? You know, so it's like. It's understanding that education is a big part of change, but it's also understanding that like grace is something you need to give people because not everyone has the knowledge to know the things that like people 
who like talk about social justice all the time have like making like language accessible to all people is definitely something that activists need to do a better job of because like we talk about intersectionality we talk about all of these big words that we use as activists and like people don't understand that stuff and then we yell at them for not knowing it and we're like you're ignorant if you don't know this word or like you know we talk about this one thing but you don't know anything about it you know like why are we putting down people who like would never have any idea what that is if like we weren't talking to them you know so like that's like a like a little um pet peeve that I have about like activism and things like that like we can't just be know-it-alls and like you know like we we talk about like you know calling people out when they do things wrong but like I I believe in like calling people in um which is like a different like phrase obviously but it's like why don't I educate but also at the, in the same vein it's like google is free and like a lot of things that people ask that are ignorant are things you can google you know and like it's easier to hear from like a person's mouth but you know what I'm saying like like activism is simply just like something that you need to do by yourself or like have someone help you along the way because it's not the job of the minority to teach you about us you know it's not my job it, it takes a lot of emotional labor to tell people about my trauma what I've gone through you know like that kind of stuff and you know I'm I'm personally more than happy to talk about these things but not everyone is and it's literally not our job to do so um so like that's like that's kind of where I'm at like with like social justice and things like that like if you want to get started in that kind of stuff like talk to people who are into social justice like like if people dm me about like hey like I want to get into social justice like I'm more than happy to be like this is what I do these are the organizations I follow and support like these are the books I've read um these are the resources I have like I would love to do that um and like most people in like social justice love that because like why would we say no to people who want to learn and create change and become better people and make you know a more equitable you know equality diverse world um yeah <laughs> I think no I love those words so much and when I was at the vigil that's one of the things I left with is Google's free um it's great to learn from people but sometimes you can't just rely on the people of color to tell you about their experiences so I think my final question is is do you have any words of wisdom for adoptees whether that's figuring out their identity figuring out their identity in college Asian American or anything like that um I feel like that's a very hard question because we all like I I don't come across adoptees a lot and like that's also something I don't think about a lot if that makes sense like like I don't because I have like a bad relationship with my family I don't think about the fact that I'm adopted because I've been taking care of myself for such a long time in which like like I support myself like financially by myself and like do stuff like that so I don't think about like family in that way and like I'm very much um a blood doesn't make you family type thing and any like like I'm adopted anyway so you're not even my blood but you know like when it comes to finding your identity like there's no rush to it there's literally like there's no playbook but I'm that's my sports brain but there's no playbook there's no written out rules as to like how to find your identity what it is like how who are you gonna be like who do you want to be and things like that like live your life like in a way that's gonna make you happy like my favorite quote is like do no harm but take no shit um my favorite quote um because at the end of the day like you have to live with yourself and you have to be happy with who you are and like 
if chasing your identity is a part of it, then like, that's great. You know, like, I don't know, like, like I am an adoptee, but like, I don't know how to talk about adoptee. You know what I'm saying? Like, we all come from so many different, like, pathways and stuff like that. Like, I was adopted by two white people. Like, people are adopted by like Asian people and like Black people and stuff like that. So everyone's experience is going to be different. So like, when like, talking about, <laughs> like, like, I don't know what kind of advice I would give to adoptees, but to like, be yourself and be happy like live your life to like your most authentic self and you know like if people come up to you and like disrespect you or anything you know like fuck them oh I don't know if I can swear on this but like you know like go for it girl (laughs) you know what I'm saying like life is too short to like care about what other people have to say about you unless you're being racist or homophobic or anything like that if you're being ableist or you know any of the isms like don't do any of that shit um but like if you're gonna live your life do it to the most authentic way because I spent too much time in my younger years trying to assimilate into the white diaspora and I lost myself and that was like the saddest part of my life where I was like I don't feel pretty like I don't feel like I'm attractive because I'm around white people and like their conventional like whiteness is like thin blonde you know and white you know and tan skinned and shit like that and because I wasn't like that I didn't feel desirable I never thought anyone would want to date me and that was like terrible you know like like I tried to dress like white people you know I tried to like copy what they did because like that was cool and that's what was accepted and you know like that sucked so like like being your authentic self like a lot of that came with being queer and accepting myself and like what I do and like how comfortable I feel with what I wear and things like that so like you know like compromise is the 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 dumbest thing I've ever heard about when it comes to like pleasing other people and like I got um so I have tattoos like that I got recently like for my birthday and I have a puzzle piece because I watched this stand-up earlier, like, last year um, by Daniel Sloss. He's my favorite white man, um, favorite stand-up comedian. And he has this show on Netflix called Jigsaw. And he talks about puzzle pieces and how everyone's a jigsaw. And, like, everyone's jigsaw looks differently, but we've all lost our own pieces. And we don't know what our picture looks like. But, like, you know, like, at the end of the day, like, our generation has learned not learn but we tend to try to fit people in our puzzle piece in our puzzle and like jam their pieces into us when like no one's actually a puzzle piece because we're all so multifaceted and we're all so different and we try to change ourselves for others when like there are 7.5 billion people in this world and like if you're gonna like don't compromise yourself for other people because when you look at your puzzle you're not going to recognize yourself and you know like things like that so like like don't let other people tell you how to live your life like do whatever makes you feel right you know like like it's because I've watched it like this is something like I know and like it's like weird to talk about but like like I'm I'm never gonna change who I am and I'm gonna be allowed and I'm gonna be in social justice and I'm gonna do whatever I want to do because like that's what I feel is right and like not everyone's at that point in their life but like that's what that's where I'm at and that's where I'm like trying to tell people like if someone doesn't like what you're wearing, like, screw them. Like, if you if you feel confident, if that makes you feel good, then you do that. Because, like, you know, there's only you in this world. And, like, to, to make other people comfortable and make yourself uncomfortable in the same, like, scenario, 
Like, why, why are you apologizing because you feel bad because other people are making you feel bad? Like, that doesn't make sense. Like, be who you are. Be proud about it, you know? I think those are wonderful words. Whenever I interview someone on this podcast, I always try to pick out, like, sentences for their promos because I like doing quotes. But you've just had so many, so I'm just going to sit down and listen to them again. But is there anything else you want to add? Um, no, I'm, I'm good. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Celeste. I'll link all of your social media in the posts and everything, but I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you. No, I'm, I was really excited to talk about this because this is so new for me. But yeah, I appreciate being asked to be on this. I really can't thank Celeste enough for coming on and talking about her experiences as an Asian American, her upbringings, but also all the work that she's been doing at Penn State. Like she talked about, there are a few adoptees here at Penn State, but we really don't talk about that with each other. And I, every time I talk to someone about adoptees at Penn State, they always have the same thing, like, oh, like, I don't know too many people here, and also experiences about their identity at a predominantly white institution. So I really hope that you were able to take something away from this. I was able to take so much away. Once again, thank you so much, Celeste. This was Made in China-ish, the podcast. See you guys.